Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, the Gigacity Company, a philanthropic community partner since 1922 and proud supporter of numerous community organizations. More information at smithville.com. And School of Public Health Bloomington, Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life publichealth.indiana.edu. The holidays can be a joyful time to connect with family and friends, but they also offer plenty of reasons to be stressed out between the gifts you haven't bought yet, the many holiday parties, and all the difficult family members. It's easy to be overwhelmed. What's the best way for us just not just to get through the holidays, but also to enjoy the holidays? This week on Noon Edition, our panelists will discuss managing all of that holiday stress. And this is a pre-recorded show, so you won't be able to join us this week, but we appreciate you listening. Liv Mercer is with us today. She's a therapist at the IU Health Center Counseling and Psychological Services. Bobby Saccone is a registered dietitian and nutrition counselor at the IU Health Center. And Jesse Bowser is joining us here in a few moments, and he's a Ph.D. candidate Canada in Communication and Culture and Lecturer of Advertising and Con- Consumer Culture at IU Bloomington. I should also say Bob Zaltzberg is not with us today, but Barbara Broser joins us. Thank you, Barbara, for being here today. So, Bobby, let's just, if we can just start with you, we're coming off of Thanksgiving when a lot of people maybe have overindulged themselves. <laughs> and when did the holidays become so much about food? I guess Thanksgiving kind of always sort of has been, yeah, yeah but... Yeah, so, yeah. You know, I, I do think that they, they, they always have been about food because any time that you um, that you gather with, with people, their food is involved. So I think it's a natural a natural thing that, that food is, is, is present. And then just historically how many how many types of foods we eat that are um, that are that are seasonal or family traditions, you know, are also um, you know, just uh, when we come together, we look forward to those foods so much. So it is a long season, and you know we've just we've just begun, and we have another good good month and a, a couple of days um, left in it. So it's it's a long haul, and I think that um, it could be it could be very joyful too in terms of um, of. You know, looking at food and maybe changing your focus in in a, in a different kind of way of what 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 this holiday season is going to look like for you. Do you, do you have tips for people about how maybe they can do that? You know, still enjoy the food, but may, maybe not make that the central part of every gathering that they're attending during this long season. Sure. Um, well, you know, of course, uh, uh, trying to focus on on you know the the the, the people around you and in, in, in gathering is is um, an important important piece of it. But you know, we. A lot of people stress about weight gain in the holiday season, and while it's true that the average American might gain one or two pounds during the holiday season, it's also true that the average adult will gain one to two pounds a year. And so maybe some of that is coming from holiday eating, maybe not, it depends. This is average, of course, so some people will not gain any at all, and other other people will um, will gain a little bit more. But I think that you know when you when we think about the holiday season, rather than being afraid of oh no, you know what's going to happen um, to my waistline, thinking a little bit more in terms of of let's just trying to maintain during this season. Let's try to maintain where we're at, wherever we're at right now, as a really really good uh, goal and a way to refocus that. Um, we want to enjoy all of the foods that holidays you know bring to us, um, and uh, we need to we need to take part in that. That's one of the real, real pleasures of, of the holiday season and, and eating in general. So, um, so tips are tips are many, um, but I think that refocusing is probably one of the more important ones to, to think about. Um, then I can go into a long list of others, but maybe maybe that will just come out as we continue to <laughs> continue to talk. Well, I'm curious from from Liv from Liv's perspective, just you the connection between food and, and mental health. 
Yeah, uh, food is, it's so intriguing because so much of our life and our social settings really revolve around food. Like just think about having friends like, hey, let's go out for Wing Wednesday or let's go have Taco Tuesday. We very much centralize a lot of our social relationships around food. And what I think from the mental health perspective is really important to think about is, what is your relationship with food, especially around the holidays? And as Bobby was saying about maintaining, really being aware of that. And also, what's that climate like at your dinner table with your family? Is there the comparison and fat shaming kind of going on? What is it like? Do you, Are you from the clean plate club type of a family? Do you only eat small portions? And really being aware of what your relationship with food is is very important because it's inevitable. It's how we build a lot of our social relationships. But we also live in a society where fat shaming does exist. And people are very concerned about their body and especially around the holiday season. You touched on something that I think is a big part of the holiday season, and that's the expectations that you have of yourself and wanting to make, you know, with the best possible. And then your worries about expectations of other people. Mm-hmm. How does that play into the stress that, that people are feeling? And is there anything we, we can do? Oh, my gosh. You know, when I was thinking about preparing for this, expectations was the first place that my mind went to, just in the sense that we have an unruly amount of expectations around the holidays, expectations of what you're going to do tradition-wise, ensuring that you keep your traditions, but also you might be at a time in your life when you're blending your families and there's a lot of changes happening or perhaps someone can't come, expectations of gift-giving, what someone's finances should look like, because perhaps last year, you had a bit more expendable money, you were able to buy really expensive gifts. This year, not so much. Trying to keep that going. Expectation of having food. Expectations are huge in the holiday season. I think it's really important that you put that out there. You have very safe conversations with your family members about what are our expectations and how do we perhaps perhaps loosen them up a little bit. How can we go into this holiday season without such structured, rigid type of thinking patterns and make sure that we look at this as an opportunity just to celebrate. Because expectations are so incredibly stressful, especially when they're not met. And it just seems like the expectation around all of this, when you think about mm-hmm. the holiday season, is the expectation is it's perfect. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like if I'm making yeah. grandma's recipe for sweet potatoes, it's got to be perfect. Right. It has a taste just <laughs> like hers. I have to get the perfect gift. And I just don't know when we got to that. When did, like as kids, it's fun. Mm-hmm. But then mm-hmm. as you grow up sometime, it just seems like there's a shift. It, well, and what we don't notice in the moment, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Yeah. And we can look back and retrospectively think, wow, that was the greatest Christmas because hilariously everything went wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. I don't know if you've ever seen The Family Stone, but I think that's just a great Christmas, Thanksgiving type of movie where it really exemplifies what the holiday season is not in terms of expectations, like someone trying to make the perfect recipe, it falling all over the kitchen, um, and just this hilarious but also beautiful rendition of the fact that expectations are not always met and that's okay. And being able to have that positive reframe in the moment of, hey, yes, I burnt the crap out of grandma's mashed potatoes, (laughs) but this should be a hilarious memory for us to look back on. Yeah. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) You talked a little bit about planning and just laying the expectations out ahead of time. And Bobby, uh, along the lines of planning when it comes to food, if Mm -hmm. someone is trying to have, you know, a more balanced holiday season, Mm -hmm. do you have some tips for how, you know, ahead of holiday gatherings, whether they're hosting or attending, how they can kind of take control of that situation? Oh, absolutely. So um, I think if if, um, we're talking about, um, you know, attending, you know, parties and and just with the food that's all around us everywhere we go to the bank, there's food out. If we go to the post office, there's cookies and cocoa waiting for us to just sort of having a general plan of, okay, um, a lot of people try to um, try to um, cut corners on just the general uh, patterns that they follow normally, like eating perhaps breakfast and lunch because they have a dinner party at night. That might change. And I think that all the research shows that if, you, um, if you're changing your patterns so drastically, then usually under eating 
easily leads to overeating because that's something that's just a natural a natural process um, in our bodies. So I think having just a just a general plan to try to continue to follow your normal patterns and eat healthfully, don't arrive to your party starving and famished. Um, bring something if you um, are you know. Uh, interested in trying to, you know, fill up on, on healthy foods first, but you're not sure that there's going to be any there. Maybe that's the dish that you bring to contribute to to the party. Um, and to slow down, because I think if you don't take your time to kind of survey all of the offerings that are around you all the time, then you tend to sort of, you know, just look and look and grab the first one that is interesting. And they're all pretty interesting right around the <laughs> holiday season. So um, just looking at the lay of the land like oh okay there's so many desserts here but there's also all of these things and other things to to get um so slowing down too you know taking small portions at first and slowing down i think when we do that we tend to um, generally make make more informed decisions afterwards because we're um we're, we're more satiated when we do that um and uh Still trying to um, to stick with your other routines that are part of your normal way of doing things if you move a lot or exercise a lot, you know, trying to keep up with those sorts of healthy patterns, too, because a lot of times what happens in the holiday season is, is uh, caloric expenditure goes up and activity tends to go down. There is activity in shopping. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> there is. But, um, you know, just in general, your regular, regular health maintenance types of things things um, sometimes go by the wayside because you're so busy and then you know your self-care decreases and that's never never good for anybody are there some foods that even contribute to your to your stress I don't know if, if you would know but you know how yeah. obviously if we drink a lot of yeah. caffeine then we're, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well certainly um, foods that are are um, you know are, that we should use more moderately foods high in sugar foods high in fats highly processed foods generally can add to your stress because they are pro-inflammatory in your body and inflammation is everywhere we, we all have inflammation in our bodies no matter you know we can we can exercise that's a good thing but it still causes inflammation and so um, I think you know to, to try to keep nutrition simple sticking to you know some some just real whole foods lower ingredient lists and so forth um, are typically those foods that are anti-inflammatory they're usually plant-based fruits vegetables whole grains and so forth um, and uh, they can help um, quite a bit. And again, really sticking to your patterns because that's what always goes by the wayside when we're busy. I'm curious if you both have some tips for parents because while ah. the holidays are stressful for adults, they can be equally stressful for children. There's a lot going on. And so between all of the sugar <laughs> and all of the events and kind of overstimulation, do you have advice for parents on how to make this, you know, um, an exciting but not overly stressful time for their kids? I mean, I'm not a parent myself, but <laughs> I have worked uh, with children in the past just with previous work experience. And I think what's important is we're talking about routine and patterns of food, but also routine and patterns with your child's schedule. Realizing that you are traveling from location to location, likely they're in a brand new environment, a bed they don't typically sleep in with a very different type of pattern, more screen time, potentially having access to it, but really making sure that you can keep some form of structure and routine to that for your child is really important um, because I feel like kids really rely on that from what I know from having worked with them in the past having studied them a little bit obviously not being a parent myself but from what I've seen it seems to be very important that you try and maintain routine in some shape or form even if that's just bedtime or bringing um, a really valuable toy or a pillow or a blanket that emulates the room in which they typically sleep in to try and keep that energy and that routine alive. Good job. Bobby, <laughs> not being a parent, you nailed it. I don't know yeah. if you have tips for regarding food, because I know um, as a child, I was always wanting, you know, you're making a gingerbread house, mm -hmm. you're going to eat a thousand gumdrops. Right, and right. Desserts are so central to the holiday season. They are, they are. And of course, you're going to have more uh, during the, during that time. But I think, again, it's it's not forgetting just to, to, to go back to the basics of keeping your routines, keeping your patterns, 
parents having good meals, not being, you know, so looking forward to um, whatever dessert or craft slash dessert is happening next that you put, you know, your regular meal by the wayside because you're so excited about about this, uh, whatever it is, a gingerbread, candy, things like that. Um, I think for kids, there's, you're right, there's just a lot of sugar out there, right? And, um, and it seems that it is always just, you know, available and given out and, and all of that, uh, all of that. But I think that um, there's also some special foods that are really um, special to the season that we sometimes forget about. I mean, we might, you know, grapple with pumpkins a little bit during Halloween and maybe Thanksgiving, but, you know, squash is amazing and um, kids like it and a lot of them have never tried it. Um, same thing with things like uh, cranberries in different ways and um, uh, using craisins instead of raisins. Just thinking about all of the foods that appear um, during the holidays, there's still a lot of just amazing fruits, vegetables, and things that we don't see all the time in our, um, well, we see it more and more now, but we don't, we don't see them all the time in our food system, pomegranates really good tasting clementines, um, things like that. It, I know certainly in my household, then you have to deal with the grandparents who sabotage <laughs> mm-hmm. any plans if they don't think the child <laughs> is getting enough sugar. They will they will take matters into their hands. But I think we should talk about relatives and how to handle those. That yeah. might even be its own conversation. But <laughs> I did want to welcome Jesse. Jesse, yeah. thank you for joining uh, us. And you've actually shown up at just the perfect time. We're talking perfect. about kids, which yeah. I think is super important when we're talking about consumerism. And we were talking about expectations yeah. earlier, but how with children we set reasonable expectations. Mm-hmm. around the holidays so maybe you could talk a little bit about that yeah I will only in the sense of I just my niece is now just one so she's <laughs> the first child I've known yeah but how to set expectations around yeah. gift giving and uh, for your children yeah um, oh man I, you know it's it, it's interesting because it's the first time that I've had to buy a gift for a child in terms of like you know for a, for a really little child mm-hmm. um, for my sister's kid and so I've been trying to think about what to get her in terms of do you get her like a piece of clothing or or get her something some kind of something to help her learn in that sense so thinking about which books to buy her and kind of thinking about not something that's very immediate use um some, but something that would you know last her for mm-hmm. a couple years or I imagine with social media um, that it makes it, uh, giving gifts for kids a whole different ball game because I remember circling catalogs when I was young (laughs) and every catalog that came in circling toys. But I imagine just the amount of advertising we're seeing in every platform really uh, influences this season. Yeah, exactly. And it, it, it becomes a matter now of, yeah, I even get advertisements for stuff to buy for her. Right. Oh. For somehow, somehow yeah. the algorithms have figured out that I have a niece that needs a gift for, for Christmas or her birthday, um, and trying to figure out like, well, is that really what I want to get her, or do I want to get her, you know, something else? Right. Like, and again, for me, it's trying to figure out something that isn't something for her to just use up, uh, in the sense of like, here's a piece of clothing that you'll grow out of in three months or something, uh, but to get her some books that will serve her in the future, or you know, something of that kind. And it seems like the advertisements are coming earlier and earlier in the holiday season. I mean, uh, as we were approaching Halloween, you see all these stores putting out their Christmas and, you know, holiday decorations, Mm -hmm. which probably just prolongs the stress and the season. Yeah, it prolongs, you know, the the feeling that you're, I don't know, I always feel kind of behind when I I kind of encounter that Mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or, you know, even though it's October, now I have to start thinking about Christmas, like right after Halloween or something like that. Um, and that certainly adds a fair amount of stress that might not be there otherwise because, you know, it's quite a ways off. But you start feeling the pressure of, I have to get ready for this. And I have to plan ahead and research what I want to get. And how, do you, how do you even go about facilitating these conversations with your family and, and your kids about what they should expect for the holidays to even say, mm-hmm. don't, please don't get my child this much or I can't afford to give you this much? Or How do you do that? Yeah, in my particular case, there's a, a my sister's fairly proactive about that kind of thing. So even when my niece was born, when people were buying gifts for, you know, for her birth, she made a point of saying, "Don't send any pink or blue stuff," in particular, because she mm-hmm. didn't she didn't want to know or didn't care to know the gender of 
the child before it was born, and so she didn't want people to gender the child ahead of time, right? Mm -hmm. So she's fairly proactive in that sense. So a lot of it's just like talking to those people of what kind of things they want. You know, do you want your child to have, you know, consumer items that are very clearly marked as gender specific in that sense, or, or you know, using that just as one example. Um, so it's that kind of communication with them. In, in, in this case, for children, uh, it might be different for adults, but. I, I do think so many of us during the holiday season are trying to figure out how to stretch our dollars yeah. and, yes. you know, meet those expectations of our families yeah. while also not, you know, going into massive debt, trying to buy all right. of these gifts. Do you have tips for people when it comes to there are so many deals that are, you know, <laughs> between Cyber Monday, Black Friday? How do we sort through all of this and, and figure out what really is a good deal? Yeah, I, you know that's the that's the hard thing is is so much of those holidays are built into buying things that you know it's hard to get away from that. You know, sometimes I try to as a thought experiment, like what could I give someone that wouldn't cost a lot of money? But then you feel that same pressure of, you know, if I don't buy them something, they might you know, or don't buy them something of a certain caliber or quality uh, or price that they would look down on you for it, right? And that's the part that interests me as a researcher is the kind mm -hmm. of feelings that you get or the the affect you get from uh, buying certain kinds of things, right? And the, and the almost competitiveness of it. In mm -hmm, sense, yeah. right? mm -hmm. It's interesting because I hear so many, I think, different takes on things like homemade gifts. A right. lot of people exactly. love, you know, the homemade cookies yeah. or whatever mm -hmm. that you give every year. But then there are other people who say, oh, that's so that's so tacky. You should right. buy a gift. Yeah. And it's right. hard to navigate right. all of that. Or they, they're kind of impersonal. Sometimes, you know, when you're struggling to buy a gift, you get a, you get gift cards, right? right. Mm -hmm. And that, that can come across to some people as very impersonal because mm. you're not picking anything. You're saying, here, you pick something. Yeah. I'm just right. giving you the money for it. Uh, Liv, I feel like you should weigh in on this. I, I <laughs> just am always about having very forward, almost explicit conversations with individuals about here's what we expect. Um, like, for example, I think if you're buying a relationship for, uh, not a relationship, but a gift. <laughs> what a gift. A gift for a spouse, for example. You get to a certain point where they become really difficult to give gifts to. And you start competing with yourself year after year and being able to just sit down and talk, be really honest with a person of how are we going to handle this? Because we tiptoe around things so often. When I work with clients all the time, I present the question, have you ever thought about asking? And they're like, what? It's this crazy, innovative idea of yeah. realizing you can have these very forward conversations about here's how the holiday season's going to look like, and that's okay uh, with your spouse. You know, we've really outdid ourselves the last few years. What would you think about just not doing gifts this year, putting away that budgeted money to allow us to do something together? Um, allow us to explore the new city maybe that we're living in or like re-fall in love with the city that we've been in, um, taking a trip together at some point or like mm -hmm. putting that away to go out to several nice dinners throughout the year, something, something like that. And nine times out of 10, I feel like people are like, wow, we're on the same page. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And you can just get it out there. And I think yeah. same thing goes with children. Um, unfortunately, you are working with kids who at that point in their life have very egocentric minds because that is where they're at developmentally as well as very rigid thinking patterns and a lot of comparison. You know, why did she get the Barbie I really wanted, but I didn't? And being able to think about how do I tell this to my child in a way that makes sense to he or she and ensure that they understand, okay, like this is what Christmas looks like at our house but also not shying away from the fact of, I know that these feelings are going to exist for you, and what can we do about them when they come up? Yeah, a big question as a parent I have, and I, and I think a lot of parents do in some of these mom groups, is like, what do you do when your child says, well, I asked Santa Claus for this? And so your child honestly believes, well, I've been good, Santa is going to bring <laughs> me this. Right. And we're dealing with it this year. My child absolutely thinks he deserves an iPad, and mm. he's six, and, and I don't <laughs> think he should have one. Mm -hmm. So. I, I feel like that's tough. Um, I love Christmas. I think if you really allow your child to buy into the idea of Santa, buying back into it, you know, like maybe they send a letter to Santa and you send something, you know, you send something back like with a, a great explanation of like what, um, like what this is about or like find some very tactful, spiritual, spiritual way to share with your child about what Christmas should be 
like should feel like and you know being able maybe to like respond in a spirited way of like okay well Santa Claus believes that <laughs> children 13 and up should get <laughs> or you know so, you know something of that nature but unfortunately there's probably some six-year-old in that classroom that will get an iPad and you can't right. control that type of conversation can only control the type of conversation that you have at home with your child and I think it's really important over the holidays that we recognize what's inside and outside of our locus of control and also you know maybe having a conversation with that teacher about hey here's the type of conversation I know is coming home here's how it's affecting my child is there is there something that I can do or something that maybe could happen in the classroom um, to really just air out this type of concern? Because you can't help what Tommy's going to say to Julie on the playground. You can't. Yeah. The holidays are, you know, a very happy time for a lot of people. But for others, you know, who have maybe just lost someone or don't have the best relationship um, with their family or, or even friends, it can also be a really sad and painful time for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, Liv, if you have suggestions for, for coping with that, because it is so in our faces with advertisements mm -hmm. and, and decorations, and it can be easy to think, I think, feel alone. I think the first thing that is most important to air out and normalize is the fact that the holidays are stressful and they induce many different emotions. There's the expectation that we are supposed to be happy, and then when we're not, it just triggers all of these additional negative emotions. And as, as a counselor, I really work with all of my clients to air out the fact that you can experience more than one emotion at one time. And that's normal and that's okay. But to also offer yourself some acceptance around the fact that I am sad right now, or I am unhappy, or I'm finding myself being angry about the fact that I am unhappy. And being able to be very forthcoming with yourself because we are avoiders. There are so many times when people come through my office and say, I want to be happy all the time. Oh, goodness. Um, that is you asking me not to make you a human being who experiences emotions and being able to offer yourself some self-acceptance. Um, and also, again, having that type of conversation. If you lost your grandmother and you're entering this holiday season for the first time, having that conversation about how are we going to navigate this as a family? when this comes up? Is this about us as a family talking about what it's going to feel like to bridge a new, tra a new tradition? Is that going to be uncomfortable for some people? Absolutely. Is that going to be liberating for others? Absolutely. But really being able to understand that everybody's needs are very different. And I think it starts with acceptance of the fact that it is okay if you are not happy 24-7 as soon as that Christmas music comes on in your car the day after Thanksgiving. <laughs> that is a-okay. I want to remind our listeners that you're listening to Noon Edition on WFIU. This is a pre-recorded show, so unfortunately, we can't take your questions today. We have to take a short break, so we're going to do that. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about holiday stress. We'll be right back. the Milton Metz studio at IU's Radio TV building, this is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, online at smithville.com, and IU School of Public Health Bloomington, online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state throughout the day at WFIUNews.org and on Twitter at WFIUNews. You can watch unfiltered video of breaking stories on Facebook Live. And you can get a digest of all the day's top stories delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of the headlines, plus the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't find anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm Sarah Whitmire. Bob Zaltzberg is out today, but Barbara Brozier is joining me as co-host. Today we're talking about holiday stress, whether it be 
shopping or eating or your mental health overall, we've got it covered today. We have Liv Mercer with us. She's a therapist at the IU Health Center Counseling and Psychological Services. Bobby Saccone is a registered dietitian and nutrition counselor at the IU Health Center. Jesse Bowser is a PhD candidate in communication and culture and lecturer of advertising and consumer culture at IU Bloomington. The show is pre-recorded, so we can't take your questions today, but it's been a great conversation so far and get excited here to, to continue the conversation. We were talking in the break a little bit, Liv, just about the dinner conversations that might be happening at some folks' households, and that's probably something all of you have opinions about. But Liv, maybe you can talk about just how we should be navigating that with our families when might be the only time of the year we see them and we don't necessarily mm-hmm. want to have an argument at the dinner table. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Um, so we were talking a little bit about just the importance of boundary setting, boundary setting in terms of stress, boundary setting in terms of family and also normalizing. There <clears throat> comes a point when maybe family time's a little too much and that is okay. It is okay to recognize that because again, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. I need to love my family 24 seven mm-hmm. and never be annoyed. <laughs> Not realistic. Um, So it's important to recognize that boundaries are really necessary to set, especially when perhaps you're reuniting with some cousins or some aunts and uncles or grandparents or what have you, and the conversation at the dinner table turns political. Where we're at in today's society is the political climate is very, very polarized. And you're likely going to have a lot of varying opinions there and being able to realize in yourself, like what emotion is coming up for me right now? Is it irritability? Is it annoyance? Am I becoming too passionate? Um, (coughs) Understanding your triggers and being able to navigate that is really important in the sense of what, what gives me an indication or a signal that this is too much and how can I appropriately react to that? If that's taking a break from the conversation just by being quiet if that's responding um, and just like an absolutely I'm going to change the subject type of a way that's okay too but also being able to think about who are these safe people in your family that you can go to to air out these concerns when you have had too much because sometimes we can feel very alone at the dinner table if we're arguing about politics or policy at our dinner table with somebody whom we do not interact with on a regular basis. And being able to have somebody that you know is going to be in your corner just emotionally can be very, very important. Uh, Bobby, I'm curious, given all of the stress, if emotional eating is more of a problem during the holidays and um, how to deal with that. If you're feeling like you just want to eat your feelings instead of talk to some family members. (laughs) Right, right. Well, I do think that it does come up more often um, in uh, in during the holidays because again um, you're um, with a lot of people who you're not you know you're very they're part of your family but you don't um, see them very often and so things come up and um, you know food is just one of those um, things that it's it's so easy to go to it really is and um, and there's there's usually a a food that can fit a a feeling you know a lot of times we talk about comfort foods and comfort foods are, are great think about you know your own if it's mashed potatoes macaroni and cheese whatever it is but um, but at some at some point it does it it, it can become a problem if that's oh you know just uh, uh, always the go-to thing and so I guess I'll I'll tag on to what you were saying Liv is that sometimes um, if you're if you're aware of this kind of thing again having a conversation about uh, just putting it out there on the table not in a confrontational way but you know this is this is what's really bothering me mm-hmm. um, and um, going at it in that from that angle really getting at that more the source of the problem rather than okay what could you do instead of, of food um, but again sometimes taking a break just from things and realizing that you need a break can help um, taking a walk getting out of the room um, doing something like that emotional eating is everywhere I mean we eat when we're happy when we gather when we're sad when we're bored when we're frustrated when we're stressed um, although, I think it's important just to point out that there's some people who will 
go the other way and they won't eat when they're stressed they'll be that will be the last thing that they think about doing and and so that's an important population too um, but probably a smaller percentage of, of all people more, more people I think will will um, will turn to something that's you know comforting or right there so I would say trying to identify it get it out on the table talk about it if you can and then take a break from what that stressor might be if you if you can in the, in the short term. And I'm sure, uh, like you mentioned earlier, maintaining those routines, making sure that you're eating, you know, multiple solid meals a day like you normally would could probably help prevent some of some of those issues. Definitely, because there's always, you know, the, the psychological component of emotional eating, but also the physiological component. And if you haven't been eating all day long, you know, your 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 body needs fuel all the time. And so um, so I, that's important to keep in mind. Totally, your 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 total health habits affect a lot of things that um, that regulate your your appetite. Your sleep will help will regulate your appetite. Your uh, your stress will you know impact your appetite and um, your drive for food and or your aversion towards food and all of those things. We're just so complex that uh, we forget sometimes and put think of hunger and appetite as being one and the same thing and. Um, and, and they're not. But when emotional eating becomes a problem to somebody, I think that's when it becomes a little bit more serious. And that's when there are so many people who can reach out for, for help with this. Um, dietitians work with mindful eating and emotional eating, um, uh, disordered eating, eating disorders, therapists as well work on, uh, work with, um, with that. And, um, you know, if, if, if it's something that is on your mind all the time, affecting your health, affect, affecting your mental health as well, um, there's definitely good places to get help. I think that is the flip side of overeating during the holidays is just people who are so worried about what they eat and have an eating disorder. I mean, just I can't imagine the stress that comes along with that just anticipating yes. that the expectation is you eat in front of all of these people mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and what you eat. There's watchful eyes on you. And yeah, absolutely. We, we see a lot of people in, in our office that just want to talk about, you know, how to navigate sort of the, the, the holiday season, holiday meals, being with family. Yeah. yeah. When it comes to dealing with some of the stress, I know some folks, when it comes to the gift giving portion of the holidays, um, have seen online shopping as a really great way <laughs> yeah. to avoid some of the craziness. And I, I'm curious, Jesse, how much uh, we've seen that grow and how that's changing, I guess, consumer habits. Yeah. Um, and some of these, what have become traditions for families to go right. physically go out and shop on some of yeah, those Yeah, you've seen quite a bit of, I mean, even the last couple of years, quite a bit of backlash against things like Black Friday for example, because when you start seeing, you know, even on social media, you see videos on people's phones of the chaos that mm -hmm. ensues. Um, you're starting to see stores kind of take that kind of activist or kind of consumer activist kind of approach of saying we're not going to be open on Friday for that reason to avoid this kind of rush of, you know, people get and people get hurt. So people have been killed um, uh, to avoid that. And also to, for the employees kind of too to not have to work on those days to early mornings, right? And mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And I think online shopping has changed quite a bit of that because that's changing the, I don't know, the, um, the supply lines, it's changing <coughs> habits in that sense of just kind of sitting at home, Cyber Mondays, these kind of things. Yeah. Um, so a lot of that's changing now in, in, in that sense for the better. Um, I think Black Friday can be quite harrowing. Uh, if you go out. Oh, and um, yeah. so, some people, you know, consider it kind of a holiday of its own. Yes, yeah. And mm -hmm. I think we've seen some of this consumerism seep into other more traditional holidays as yeah. well. And I'm curious, just from your perspective, is that a bad thing? Is that a good thing? Is it just to be expected with uh, all of the social media and different platforms that we're using that these we, days? I'm sorry, that we have. That, that, that just can, uh, it seems holidays have become more consumer, you know, consumer-centric. Right. Yeah, in some ways. I mean, that, that's what I was kind of in, in, interested in <laughs> earlier was trying to think of ways that I could not buy something for somebody or, or you know, spend less or, you know, try to give something a meaningful gift that isn't uh, something very expensive. Um, and it's hard because it's become so integrated into how we think about and how we show care to other people is you buy something for them or you, you take them out somewhere. You spend money in some way or another. Um, and trying to think of alternatives to that is very difficult because it's consumer culture is our culture in, in many ways. And I'm sure social media 
plays into all of these mm-hmm. factors. Um, I mean, I know when I'm scrolling through Instagram or something yeah. like this, and you see, my goodness, look at this, you know, family in their matching outfits and their Christmas <laughs> photo, or look at this insane spread right. or this gift that someone got. I mean, yeah. It's uh, on a larger scale now than it, than it ever was. It used to be, you know, when you'd get those those family letters that would have like a picture of the, of the family together and then they would write a letter, you know, Susie's doing X and she's pursuing her degree and there was almost a, always a subtle hint of like competitiveness to them that each family, at least it might, maybe it was just my family. <laughs> no, they were, yes, absolutely. Everyone was kind of showing off a bit um, and that's mm-hmm. on social media with gift giving and stuff like that, that's definitely part of it. You yes. can, You're never posting yeah. the gift you got that you are so, you know, disappointed that right. you yeah. got or the holiday meal right. that right. went horribly wrong, right. which again goes back to those expectations, I'm mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. You mentioned some of the backlash sort of after yeah. with with Black Friday, but do you think in terms of consumerism surrounding the holidays, we're getting better about making it so much about the stuff or are we making or is it getting I think worse? The, 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 you know, some of the physical effects are lessening uh, in terms of the labor that goes into those holidays and then also the, you know, in some cases, the trampling, the fights that break out, that kind of thing. I think that's better. I think the one thing that still hasn't been addressed is the way um, that gift giving and, and caregiving is so, still so much tied into what you can buy. So even if it's online now, so it's someone dropping something off at your door, that's better in that sense. The, the kind of physical toll of that is much less than it used to be. Um, but I think the values are still very much tied into what you can buy. And that obviously has very, uh, so in some cases, very negative effects in terms of class, uh, class background, race, gender, sexuality, mm-hmm. etc. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of those things, those identities are still <laughs> built into um, what you can buy or in some cases what you can what you can afford to buy or can't for that matter. Are there tips I'm wondering that you would offer to people in terms of maybe this is a better way to approach the holidays rather than buying gifts? Is it you sit together and you eat more? I mean, it just seems like yeah. there's just an abundance of, of too much with, yeah. with everything yeah. here. But yeah. I would say, I mean, one thing that I've been hearing a lot about is people uh, trying to give gifts of, like, experiences more. Um, yeah. So, And it still might involve some kind of buying, but it's not buying mm-hmm. you an Xbox or, or whatever. It's more like mm-hmm. I'm taking you on a trip to this, mm-hmm. you know, museum or I'm going to take mm-hmm. you to this thing. Um, and that's been something I've been thinking about quite a bit. You kind of give right. people experiences now. Mm-hmm. Or that, that might be one way to kind of address that. So they don't walk away with a tangible thing all the time. Um, They will have some kind of memory. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I also think if you think about the work that is involved with just putting together a family meal, um, there's there's, um, you know, a lot of hours that precede the actual, okay, we're going to sit down and have the, the family meal of, of work. And um, lately, um, the, the I've seen more families getting together to do things together. And um, not just to bring a dish, but come over and make that here. Um, or um, just joining in the work of the holiday as well. And I think that um, that when when families take, you know, different parts of ownership of that, it's a really nice experience, too, not maybe related to consumerism or anything, but just in in, in the work of the holiday, yeah. because the host is always, always, <laughs> always, always working. Right. <laughs> That's very yeah. true. Yeah. As someone who who's hosting this year, m- my family and uh, the in-laws, um, <laughs> it, it's very different when you're trying to sort of mold these two families, mm-hmm. where it's like, I have folks on my side of the family who say, I, I always bring the corn, so I'm going to take care of that. Yeah. And then now we have folks on the other side who say, I always bring the corn. Yeah. So I'm sort of stuck in the yeah, middle. Just dishes. let me make the corn, yes. which doesn't please anybody. So yeah. I don't know if, right. if you know anything about navigating those kind of situations, but I'm already just, oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's just not half corn. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think people like to bring things, even, you know, Everybody wants to, to to bring their signature dish and yeah. and have that at the table and and I, I still think that that's okay even if there is too much. It's I think we put too much um, uh, at, we we give too much attention to that one particular meal when really when we're thinking about just um, food and stress and all of those different things. It, it's really like a, a long process. It's a four to six week period of time. That one meal. I don't know if I were you, I'd let it go because I think. Just okay, let them so all bring. 
only have corn. two corn dishes, and, <laughs> yeah. and I won't make it. Right. Well, <laughs> family can enjoy it that way, and they'll enjoy it this way. And that's great. We don't even have to talk and about I, it anymore. I think one of the <laughs> one of the problems that sometimes doesn't get addressed in those situations is the kind of gendered nature of that work, where especially in my family, <laughs> for instance, oh. um, you know, the kind of assumption that you know the women will cook the food. And then the boys will go watch football and fall asleep and like, <laughs> yep. this kind of thing. So I think one way to deal with the stress of that is to, if possible, again, you don't want to like open up large political conversations. <laughs> with them, but, but you do want to address, like, you know, it might make it easier on everybody if everyone participates rather than letting these kind of assumptions about gender and work in the kitchen, mm-hmm. kind of let the, letting those slide um, to maybe very politely <clears throat> ask some people to participate a bit more. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and you have um, to think about your kids, too. I mean, we talked about earlier in the show, like your relationship with food, your relationship with food is oftentimes developed based on how your interactions at the dinner table were formed. Um, Just like the way in which you interpret Thanksgiving at my age of 25 is very much built off of how Thanksgiving came to be through my family. Mm -hmm. So if you have, you know, 14 young cousins running around and you see a very gender stereotyped norm happening, that can have a lasting impact on those childhood minds. And I think that's very important that we also cognitively think about um, the way in which we behave is also going to mold the way in which future generations behave too, just like the conversation about food. Um, So you may be trying to lose 15 pounds at the dinner table and completely unaware that cousin Susie is battling with disordered eating and saying, oh, I can absolutely not eat this pumpkin pie, it's going to make me fat, can have a significant distressing effect on that person. And being able to, again, I think it's about having internal cognitive awareness about what What's my relationship with food? What what are my expectations around the holidays? And how do I ensure that I'm not always bringing this forward in a way that could be maladaptive to somebody else? Just like expectations with consumerism. What do I expect from a gift? Mm -hmm. Am I actually one of those people who is posting on Instagram how great my life is (laughs) when little do they know I stretched my dollar way too far? And that's not what you're seeing. You're not seeing the negative dollar signs in somebody's bank account and being able to also realize how am I personally, just as a human being, perhaps contributing to that as well Mm -hmm. through my own personal expectations and conversations and interactions at the dinner table as well. We did talk about dinner table conversations earlier, and I want to go back to that, Liv, because there are so many things happening right now that could be difficult to talk about with your family. You know, sexual assault has been in the news a lot and just the political climate. Do you have tips for people um, on what to do if a family member does, you know, say something that they they think crosses the line or Mm -hmm. if a conversation just uh, gets too heated, how they can approach that situation and salvage, you know, Mm -hmm. the holiday? I think it's important. Again, I just I feel like my personal theme of this like talk has been internal awareness of what conversations are triggering for me, what conversations are comfortable, um, what could be that go to. Like I'm from Wisconsin, so it's always how about them Packers, right? So I can always go to that if some, something's going awry. But if that comes up, and inevitably, likely will, just given the climate, I always talk about this idea of I statements. So really ensuring that when you are presenting something back to somebody, you are speaking solely through your perspective instead of, so you're saying that blah, 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 blah is basically yada, yada, yada. How defensive that person is going to get as a result of that type of statement is inevitable. So really being able to say, you know, in this moment right now, I'm finding myself feeling very uncomfortable about the conversation of sexual assault just based based on personal experience, based on what's coming up for me right now, I'm wondering if we can change the conversation. Feels a lot better than, hey, you're making me really uncomfortable about what you are thinking. That person wants to fight back, that person wants to defend. So being able to really focus on and slowing down, trying to use an I statement, it's not how we talk as human beings 90% of the time, so it's going to take some practice, but really ensuring that you share you and only your perspective very honestly and openly in hopes of not allowing somebody else to go on the defensive because they feel like you're making an assumption about them. When we're talking about maybe making some bad decisions over the holidays or (laughs) overspending or overeating, I'm wondering how much in the back of our minds you all might think, 
It's just, oh, the new year's coming. In the new year, I'm going to start fresh. I'm going to live by a budget. I'm going to get on a diet. I'm sure you deal with that a lot with your clients. We do. We do. And, um, you know, I think that I don't know what the statistic is of how many New Year's resolutions that are are, are diet food related, you know, are, are you know, a, a two or three day affair. But um, but yeah, I think that, you know, in, in some ways we're just always looking forward to. Um, but that also then is maybe taking away what we could be doing in the present, just saying, OK, if we're always like oh, after the weekend or after the holiday season, um, we're prolonging, I think, um, feeling the way that we want to feel. And, and I don't think that, you know, at the end of the day, the um, the 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 New Year's resolution technique has been proven to be that effective for most people. So although we do join gyms and, you know, start uh, healthier habits, then I think we need a lot of support to keep them going. And so if um, if we're only looking at the calendar for that support, we're probably not going to keep them right. Yeah. And in terms of the budget, you're getting all those bills right at the time that you're going to start living (laughs) on a budget. It seems like you're sabotaging yourself. Right. I mean, and a lot of it, too, is, you know, this is something I talk to my students a lot about in terms of consumer culture is a lot of the stuff you get and a lot of the stuff you buy, even around New Year's, is kind of assumed to have some kind of transformative properties that you can buy something, a gym membership or whatever, Mm -hmm. and you can become someone else. You know, you can become better, smarter, faster, better looking, et cetera. <laughs> um, yeah. And that, that's not necessarily the case. So in some ways, it's, it's a, I think it would be a matter of trying to remove the automatic assumption that if you buy the right thing, the right clothes, the right whatever, that you can become better and so on. Um, so that would be the thing I would add to that. Yeah. Um, and Liv, we only have about a minute left, yeah. but I want to give you the last word so okay. that you can just give us the whole picture here in terms of how to survive and, and be a happy, healthy human at the end of it. Um, I There are several points to it. The first being self-care. It's really important to recognize self-care in terms of what are my boundaries, what are my trigger signs of when I am getting overstressed. Am I irritable? Am I losing sleep? Am I becoming anxious? And how do I appropriately respond to that? Because self-care, as difficult it is during time management, is important. Even if it's five extra minutes to drink coffee by yourself in the morning, capitalize on that. That's really important. Um, Again, I think it's important for boundary setting, really know when you've had too much and being able to offer yourself some normalization and empathy that it is okay if you've had a little bit too much family time. It is okay if you're experiencing something other than happiness. Being being able to offer yourself that normalization and validation is really important, I think, during the holiday season. Great. Yeah. Well, that's all the time we have today. But thank you all so much for joining us. This has been great. And I do hope everyone has a happy holiday season without putting too much stress on yourself to to be happy. (laughs) Thanks to our guests, Liv Liv Mercer, Bobby Saccone, Jesse Bowser. Thank you all very much. Thanks to our producer, Angelo Bautista, and also to Barbara Brozier, who was co-hosting with me today, and Mike Pashkash, our engineer. I'm Sarah Whitmire. This has been Noon Edition. Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from School of Public Health Bloomington. Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. Publichealth.indiana.edu and Smithville Fiber, the GigaCity company. Fiber internet, HD and digital IPTV in Southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com.